everyone, and welcome to Traceability Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Edwards, and today I'm so excited to have Sabina Nawaz with us. Sabina is an executive coach and speaker and presenter, previous career at Microsoft and uh, for many years in human resources, and also gave a TED Talk, which I hope uh, you'll have been able to hear a very inspiring TED Talk a few years ago. So I'm um, really happy to have Sabina here with us and to hear your story. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Tracy. Thank you so much. So typically how I start out is just sort of going back to the beginning of how you got your start in your education and career and, and sort of how things have uh, grown to this point. Well, my education and my career have taken quite a few divergent paths. I started my undergraduate studies in architecture in India. Now, to explain the shift, my mom, when she was getting ready for college, had gotten admission to study medicine in England. And in those days, she was worried that she might disappoint her grandfather if, as a young woman, she would leave India and go off on her own for her studies. So she never went. But she had this unfulfilled dream which I was the lucky recipient of. So while I was studying in my freshman and uh, sophomore years in India, she would trek to the United States Information Center and pour over the Barron's guides and things like that to look at all the places that I should apply to and when I should do the SATs and so on. And that landed me in the US at Smith College as a junior, and I started studying computer science and electronics, and then did my graduate degree from University of Massachusetts in computer systems engineering. And that's where I spent the first almost decade of my career at Microsoft in software engineering, and then switched in a very um, non-traditional way to HR, where I was responsible for employee management, executive development, succession planning, running executive retreats for the company, etc. I left 15 years ago. So after spending almost 15 years inside, I left 15 years ago. And now I work one-on-one -on -one coaching CEOs and C-suite executives, doing leadership training, keynotes for large conferences. And then I also write for Harvard Business Review, Forbes and Inc. So you had this interest in architecture, obviously art and function and that kind of thing. And you segue from that into computer science. How did that happen? Yeah, so I was definitely interested in art, but architecture wasn't my top choice. In those days, in the state that I was in, you sat for an engineering and medical entrance exam. 20,000 people sit for the exam and the first 2,000 even get a slot in engineering or medicine out of 20,000. And the top 20 or so get computer science and electronics. Oh, wow. My, okay. Yeah. So my ranking was about 800, which in the hierarchy of things netted me architecture. Architecture had an additional thing where you had to take a drawing test to qualify. And I love drawing and painting and, and some aspects of aesthetics and good design, but I had a hard time imagining being an architect for the rest of my career. I really wanted to study computer science, and that was one of the beautiful things about coming to the U.S. was that I could choose what I wanted to study. So many of us, sometimes we, we have gifts in a certain area, and we sort of follow 
follow that path and it, it doesn't necessarily always work out for us to follow that path, you know, maybe speak to what that was like to sort of be able to pivot and and go in a different direction than you expected. <laughs> it was it was exhilarating and also um, uh, put me under quite a bit of pressure, but it, pressure was not something I was unused to. The, the high school system I'd gone through was incredibly rigorous, but essentially I... I had never even touched a computer. And here I am in my junior year majoring in computer science. So as you can imagine, Tracy, I was slammed with courses. Fortunately, I could mm-hmm. move the other uh, degree requirements of a liberal arts education for my first two years for the most part. Mm-hmm. But I was taking 100, 200, and 300 level courses at the same time. Oh, and wow. sometimes hiding under the desk in the computer lab when they came to lock down the lab because I had so much work to do. (laughs) And it's interesting because after I did one of my semesters, they actually did not allow students any longer to take a couple of those classes at the same time. So uh, assembly language programming and intro to computer science, I think those were the two that they now separated and one became a prerequisite for the other. Uh, So it was was, um, jam-packed. And really motivating for me, I loved electronics. Also, because I was at Smith, I had to take the bus to go to University of Massachusetts to do my electronics classes. And there was a ve- it was a very different environment from 2,600 students to 26,000 students, from an all-women college to a co-ed uh, education there, uh, from 10 students in the classroom to... 200. So so it was wonderful to get that diversity of experience in just two years and coming to the U.S. for the first time. It seems like that would be very exhilarating. Not only are you working hard and you're finding success in all of your hard work, but there's just so much culture and exhilarating things happening. And so I think that's that sort of speaks to we can really do hard things, and there are a lot of benefits of, of doing those hard things. There absolutely are. And then also, I think there's something about when we don't have a choice, when <laughs> that's that there, there is, I mean, there's always a choice, but um, I came with $750 in two suitcases and I had to make it. Um, so I better get my degree. Otherwise, there, is, there was no way for me to continue doing uh, what I wanted to do or staying where I wanted to stay. So you have uh, finish up at Smith and you graduate. And what sort of led you to going across the country and going to Microsoft? <laughs> well, I don't know if on a lark would be the right term, but essentially I sent out 180 job applications because I had no idea how I rated in the job market. And uh, Microsoft was the first one to call me, the first one to fly me over. And I had not actually heard of Microsoft. There were only 6,000 employees at that point in the company. I uh, did some research and, and heard about William H. Gates III and this company. I had no idea where Seattle was. And I thought, hey, they're going to... F- and I was a starving student, right? So, so I thought they're going to fly me over for free to Seattle. Why not see a different part of the country? I have no intention of moving that far from Massachusetts. And 
A funny thing happened, Tracy, by about interview number two or three, I, I interviewed with a total of, I think, nine people. I loved the place. I just fell in love with Microsoft. I've actually just written a LinkedIn post about the 30th anniversary of my, of my first day at Microsoft. And I just fell in love with the place. And I thought, oh, I would love to work here. The people were just so energized and clearly engaged in what they were doing, really smart. They just had me. That's awesome. I, I love how those serendipitous things end up happening after we've worked really hard. And I also love the Northwest. I have a lot of family up there. So I, I definitely understand uh, the attraction of Seattle and, and that area. So you move to Seattle, you start coding, and then several years go by. And maybe tell the story of how you segued from being a developer to actually moving into HR. I know you speak a little bit about it in your TED talk, but I'd love to sort of hear some more. Yeah, details. so I, yeah, I had a great time developing products and various aspects, various roles of that and working my way up the corporate chain. And I pretty much had um, big dreams and ambitions about getting to corporate vice president and so on. And then I took a sabbatical and suddenly realized that it was no longer a matter of if, but when I would become a corporate vice president. And once I realized that, it was a, a letdown. Uh, I, I just thought, okay, if I already know how to do that, why do I need to spend my time chasing something whose formula I know? That seems boring. Well, what the heck do I do with myself then? Because that's all I set my goals on. That was my first lesson on on not chasing becoming, but just sort of being and exploring and seeing where things go. And uh, realized that um, I really, really enjoy working with people. I fall in love with people. And, uh, and so I thought, why not switch and see what this has in store? People were very surprised especially as a technical woman leaving the technical ranks, a senior technical woman. So my boss at the time had given me a safety net that you can come back anytime you want. And so I thought, oh, that's great. I don't really have a huge risk here. So it was, it was really a, an adventure and an experiment. I was upfront with the hiring manager saying, I might leave in, in a, three weeks. And she said, I'll hire you for three weeks. So I'm really glad she took me took that bet on me, and and I just fell in love with the job. I couldn't believe I was paid to do this work. So the rest is history. I think that's wonderful. The willingness to sort of take a different tack. I, I think so many times we get into a career, and we don't want to sort of give up on the experience that we've had so far and the time that we've invested in that experience and, and that kind of thing. So I think sometimes um, we're a little reluctant to make some of those changes. So maybe if you could give some advice uh, for folks who are, are sort of bumping up against that where, okay, this is sort of the next step, but I'm not sure that that's really what I want to be doing. Yeah, I think... I think it's so easy to get lulled into the siren call of uh, what of the shoulds. 
what your parents may have told you you should be doing with your career, what your mentors, coaches, people you look up to are doing, what you read about, and instead of marching to the tune of your own playbook and even listening to it is really hard because we are we hide ourselves behind busy and so we don't hear those weaker signals that are actually strong signals coming from inside us and so I think the first thing to do is really start to pay attention to joy and impact how much joy are you deriving from this work and what is the impact that work is having for me I I actually loved um, each of the jobs I've done, but I would say if I looked at a curve of the joy, maybe I had peaked and now I was starting to get to a place sometimes where I would roll my eyes at the, oh, I know exactly how this meeting's gonna go, you know, that kind of thing. And so it w- it's about paying attention to, are you, can you, can you like not wait to get out of bed on Monday morning because you're so energized, even if it's hard work, even if it's tough challenges? Or are you feeling really kind of jaded? And paying attention to your inner signals, taking the space and the time to pay attention to it, and then figuring out how you advocate for yourself and how you carve out that new path. But first is just the realization that it might be time to get to a new path. Mm-hmm. Could you maybe offer some advice? This, I think, is coming up more and more today, especially as we're all working from home more than we ever have. And sort of what setting some of those boundaries is like so that you can have that reflection and and opportunity to sort of uh, yes feel your way through. Yeah, great, great question. Because One of the things that I do with the people I coach is this concept of white space. If you look at a page, there's there's the print and then there's a bunch of white space around it and in between the words and paragraphs and sentences. And it's that space that allows you to actually comprehend what's on the page. Otherwise, it'd be just a bunch of garbled letters. And similarly, schedule white space time on your calendar about two hours contiguous time where you're not reading, you're not on the web, you're not on email, you're not talking to anybody, you're simply unplugging. You can do a mind map, you can sit back and think, you can go for a walk and think. We know through research that our best insights are already there. They're just waiting in the antechamber, waiting to come out. They're in that green room, not yet on stage, and they come out when we are not busy and we're not, our brain isn't on overdrive, right? So we get our best ideas in the shower and when running and when driving. So let's foster some more of that time. Now, there are many techniques that can help you create, keep those boundaries. First of all, don't call it white space on your calendar. Call it something important sounding so people don't trounce all over it, like strategic review, (laughs) (laughs) CEO discussion, you know, just call it something really important. Then also book some time before it to get through your to-do list and your email so it's not distracting you from thinking through the longer-term, bigger thoughts when you're there. I like that. I know that it can be very difficult for me to kind of come down, especially from the concept of multitasking. And I know we all know that multitasking is not as successful as you would perhaps make it out to be that I I can get very addicted to sort of that multitasking and and the the not letting uh, go. So I appreciate the 
the advice there on setting better boundaries. Yeah, it, it you know, we all sort of delude ourselves that we're being more quote unquote productive with multitasking and we really aren't. Something else that I wanted to get into was um, specifically regarding HR. I know that there's a lot of philosophical discussion back and forth today about really the role of, of HR and what who HR really represents in the organization. Some people would say that it's management. Some people would say that it's the employee. And, and sort of where do you fall on that? I don't fall on either side. My answer is it depends because there are some HR professionals who will say, yep, I'm, I'm facing the manager and my job is to protect the company. And some who will say I'm going to straddle both. And so if you're in an organization and you're wondering, do I, to what extent can I partner with my HR person on my career growth? To what extent will they keep things confidential? I would ask them and see where they pivot and, and, and then and then use your judgment based on that. Having worked with a number of HR business partners when I coach people or even coached HR heads of HR, I'll say that the vast majority of them that I have worked with are incredibly invested in the development of their talent. It is extremely expensive to go find talent somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Not only that, Whenever we have a meeting, they say, this is the favorite part of my job. I don't have to fire somebody. I don't have to deal with Mm -hmm. other hairy issues. This is about growth and productivity and nurturing. Mm -hmm. Who wouldn't love this? So for the most part, they are very embracing of people coming to them with a request for partnership. If your HR partner is in the room when you're running a meeting and you're working on something, ask them for feedback. Mm-hmm. It doesn't cost them that much more extra time to do that for you. That's great. I think that especially as women, that sometimes we we assume that people are going to just recognize how well we're doing and uh, sort of put us forward. And I, I think we're reluctant to kind of have those conversations ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. We just think the the recognition fairy is going to tap us on the head and and give us some some goodies and and of course that's not the case now not only is it helpful to partner with your hr business partner in that regard but it's also great because they you can ask them questions and and if if they're not if it's not okay for them to share they'll be they'll tell you that but you're not out anything so if your organization has talent reviews, for example, you could ask your HR business partner, hey, what was the discussion? What did the discussion cover when my name came up? And you'll be surprised at how many people will share that information with you because they want you to know and they want you to work on that. But most people go through life ignorant of those discussions because they just don't ask. Right, right. And I I think that really speaks also to making sure that we are having crucial conversations. And when I say crucial, I I don't mean necessarily difficult conversations, but but crucial career conversations about our career choices. Yes, that reminds me of a story of when I was in the on the product in the product groups and had just managed a very large division-wide project 
that was filled with 20 different agendas from each of the 20 different groups. It was worse, way worse than hurting cats. But I did that, and I did that successfully. I, I was good at that. However, I did not enjoy that. So back to joy and impact. It had good impact. There wasn't so much joy for me. So I actually went to my boss. Thankfully, this was one of my better bosses. And I said, I know that this is a skill that's important in the company. I know that there are many other hairy projects like this, and you're probably starting to scheme as to which one of those you're going to give me next. While it has great visibility, it's, n- it's not something I want to do. I want to work on something that has a bigger strategic impact. It, it'll be a smaller set of people. That's fine. But that's, I would appreciate doing that. Of course, I'll do whatever's needed for the company and train someone else up. But this is what I want to do. So it was back to not getting swayed by something that was going well, but more thinking about how is it going for me in terms of where I need to grow and what I really enjoy doing. Yeah, I I can very much appreciate that. I know that as I have taken more time to have some of those conversations in the last uh, couple of years with bosses, I, I have felt much more empowered in my career, but also just much more effective yeah. Um, as, yeah. a, as an employee and, and that kind of thing. It is way more effective for the company when you are uh, fully plugged in charged up. So yes, yeah. Absolutely. Something that just sort of came to mind is I have had a lot of junior folks reaching out to me lately, asking for career help and, and that kind of thing, but um, sort of asking questions that perhaps they could have found out some of the, the information beforehand on their mm-hmm. own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe today, junior folks coming up in careers haven't sort of thought that they would even really have this particular career, and here they are, and they're not sure what to do with it, and that kind of thing. What would be some advice that you'd maybe give to some junior folks who who know that they need some help, but also ways in which they could be a little more self-reliant about it? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. It is, you know, there's one of you and, and you're getting 50 different requests, I'm sure. So there's an article I wrote on Forbes of nine ways to ask a stranger for help. And it's specifically about approaching mentors and asking for help. Some of the basics will make you stand out as an exceptional person. It's that simple and yet that rare. This The basic thank yous and pleases, um, if you are requesting a huge favor of, if they're requesting a huge favor of you, actually finding out your time zone and sending you the meeting times in your time zone versus theirs, those little things make a huge difference. And then, of course, doing the homework. So you're, because not only do you want to do the homework to save the person you're talking to their time. But so you get a lot more out of the person because if they're coming to you and asking questions that they can do in a basic internet search, they're leaving so much on the cutting room floor that you will provide over and above that, that they cannot find in a simple search. So 
learning the basics to understand what's the next level of questions they can ask you so they and you both feel fulfilled at the end of the conversation. I think it's also really, really making sure that they close the loop. So it's not just doing the home, uh, the pre-work, but the homework. So when they do the homework and what whatever happens, closing the loop with you. Some people have this mistaken thought that your time is so precious, they don't want to waste your time to close the loop. But the reason you, why did you give them that time? You gave them that time because you like to help people. You did it out of the kindness of your own heart. And you actually would probably love to hear what happened and that you made a difference. And if you know that you made a difference, it's going to give you a little dopamine hit to want to talk to them again. So even if you do it for purely self-serving reasons, tell them how it worked out and how you contributed to it so that they will come back and say yes again. I love that. I, I will certainly remember that. I think there's one last thing, which is re- reciprocation. And of course, we're not doing this to get something back. You're not charging money for it. None of that. And none of us do that when we are giving back. However, if people are thoughtful and they give back, again, that stands out. And what I mean by giving back, again, these are really simple, yet so rare to do. Somebody sent me, they saw an article about some great, somebody who was profiled. They highlighted three bullets there, cut it out, sent it to me with a thank you card and said, these three bullets remind me of you. This is why I've learned so much from you. I will always remember that and my door will always be open for that person. Or find me on social media and promote some of my work. That's very easy to do. It doesn't take that long to tweet out an article that's already written by somebody. So do some of that to show that you're willing to give your time when you're asking for this person's time. Ends up helping you both continue uh, pursuing the path that you're on, trying to inspire more people and and that kind of thing. Yes. I think there's also a, you've got me on a roll. Can you tell I'm passionate about this (laughs) topic? Because they get asked a lot. There Uh is a Goldilocks principle, just the right amount principle, which is, I'll get complete strangers send me a message saying, hey, can we set up some time to chat? Who are you? (laughs) Why should I be chatting with you? What is it that you want? What is it that I'm going to get in return? There's no context whatsoever. Why would I set up time to chat with a complete stranger with no context whatsoever? On the other hand, I might get six pages, I kid you not, six pages of writing about that person's story. And I'm I'm trying to sift through six pages to understand what it is that they want. So having a really tightly framed request, and again, there's an example of that in the article, will will help you get a will help you net a yes more often. Thank you for that advice. I'm definitely going to be taking that as I continue pursuing some of these things. So as we as we wrap up today, maybe what's coming up next for you? I just uh, finished about a six-week streak of extremely packed stuff. 
Yesterday was the last of it. We're speaking with Corriere della Sera, which is Italy's biggest newspaper. They had a conference on sustainability and then was giving a keynote and then on a panel with their CEOs on the topic, which was fantastic. So what's coming up next is a little bit of white space time, a little bit of fallow time. I have, of course, my regular clients, but my next, the next class I teach is not for a few weeks. So I'm really looking forward to enjoying the fall and some walks with my dog and my writing. I, I think that's a, another uh, great plug for the white space, you know, making sure that we're giving ourselves that room to breathe. I think, yes. And Tracy, especially in 2020, so much has happened that we are all at some point or the other, if we have a pulse, we've also felt deflated, overwhelmed, exhausted, wiped out, whatever. And, and that's not counting people who've been afflicted with the virus or anything else. Just even life as usual is not life as usual. And I found that to my absolute shock and surprise that 2020 has been a more productive year for me than most years. Because 2020 is the time where I've given myself more time, more permission, more grace. I'm totally exhausted, cannot really function, have a bunch of stuff to catch up on, but I'm not going to work this weekend. And I'm on fire on Monday because I've had the time to refresh my batteries. As regards 2020, not only has it been perhaps a, a more productive year, but, but it's actually been a year where I felt more abundance than lack, as I often do. So I, I have found it as challenging as a year as it has been. It has also been sort of a very blessed year. Do you, do you have any advice for folks who may be sort of trying to process things emotionally these days as they're, because I know so many of us are definitely feeling the challenge and and you talk about giving yourself grace and, and that kind of thing, but, but maybe any techniques for helping to sort of process some of that? Yes, absolutely. I actually uh, wrote about this also on Forbes, and it's about the fact that we are all going through a grieving process and in, in, in this time. There's actually a, a great article by, I forget the name of the person right now, but on Harvard Business Review about what you're feeling is grief. And uh, so I, I took that and then uh, talked about how how can you how can you be productive in the midst of all this all this stuff and all the processing that you need to do. So so it's about really taking the time to to acknowledge firstly what you're going through. Many people are, uh, I get worried when people, especially at the top of the management chain, are too quick to declare optimism, are too quick to say, oh, but we're, we're resilient, we're, we're better than this. Yes, and when somebody is really struggling and facing a whole range of emotions, when you say something, someone is resilient or the culture is resilient, you're negating the other very real lived experiences that people might have. 
So I would say name your feelings and acknowledge those because the only way out of it is through it. Banish comparisons. Do not get into a competitive match with someone else. And then recognize the ongoing patterns that you might have formed. The title on Forbes is called Work in a Time of Crisis, How to Maintain Productivity in Six Steps. And the first three are all about this question that you're asking of how to process what's going on right now and how to give ourselves space for that and space for grace. Yeah, I, th I think that that has definitely been very important as I've been, you know, talking with friends and colleagues, being gracious with each other and being a little less inclined to the, can't find the word that I'm looking for, but perhaps being less inclined to, to judgment or, or something like that. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Both for ourselves and others. Yes, for sure. For sure. I, sometimes I think we're quite hard on ourselves. And, and so appreciated that plug there. So how can folks find you? Well, they can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, it's Sabina Nawaz, so my full name, Instagram, Sabina Coaching. They can also join my mailing list for the latest articles on Harvard Business Review and Forbes by either going to my website, sabinanawaz.com, or if they email me, info at sabinanawaz.com and mention your podcast, I will also send them a one-page guide to working from home and having energized video conversations. Wonderful. We will make sure that that gets into our transcript and show notes. So thank you so much for your time today, for your graciousness and the willingness to be part of the program. It's been a wonderful conversation. Likewise, my pleasure. I really, really enjoyed uh, getting to know you a little bit. And uh, I hope that this is, this is helpful. People are always welcome to reach out back with questions. Wonderful. And so as we close today for our listeners, your call to action is if something resonated with you today, please shoot me an email at Tracy, that's T-R-A-C-I-E at traceabilitypodcast.com. I'd love to hear uh, what you have to say and encourage you to give yourself grace and don't be discouraged and, and keep moving forward. So Sabina, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Tracy.